Warrior, welcome to Sonic Talk number 381. It's a portentous day. Um, there, there are things simultaneously happening. I'm sure you must be actually struggling between choosing whether or not to watch us live or perhaps watch the fact that there is the uh, Project Rosetta, Mission Rosetta, which is about to land a real-life space probe on an actual comet, sort of Armageddon-style. Think Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck but unmanned and not saving the world from some terrible, you know, disaster. So if you remove those bits but keep some aspects of the story, then you'll kind of get the rough idea. This is actually live from the control room there. Oh, oh my, it looks like they've done it. Hold on. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to have to switch. So this looks like... I, I have to do this. I know this is probably going to infringe all sorts of things. You can't actually embed this. They're all clapping, so I'm guessing it must have actually worked. So uh, congratulations. We've just landed a comet. On, uh, landed on a comet. Isn't that awesome? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch that off and I'm going to come back to this and do the introductions. Then, Because I think the, the pictures that they'll send back will take a little bit of time. So anyway, uh, but thank you very much to Isotope for sponsoring this comet-related uh, uh, show. And also, uh, thank you very much to... Uh, oops, I've just realised that my... And thank you very much to everybody in the chat room who are in for a comet-related uh, show. Well, at least some of it. Uh, so thank you very much. Everybody. Well, anyway, um, oh yes, of course, Ozone 6 is the isotope. I'm sorry, I'm a bit flustered because we've just landed a flipping on a comet. Can you believe it? Um, so, uh, oh yes, isotope, Ozone 6, uh, we've got a winner for last week's competition, which is a full working copy of Ozone 6. And there is going to be another competition announced this week where you can also win another copy of Ozone 6. So let's get into introducing our guest. We haven't had him for a little while, Mr. Robbie Bronneman there in Robot Studios, who is, uh, I don't know what that is in the background, but it looks very nice. But anyway, beside that, he's, he's uh, Howard Jones Move. MD. It's a Moog, is it? It's a Moog Voyager rack mount. Ooh, that's pretty. Uh, composer, music producer, Howard Jones, MD, and uh, studio owner, all those things. And you've been you've been busy, eh, Robbie? How's how's things? Good, actually. I'm very excited. I've been putting together the last couple of weeks my new my new on the road rig for for producing other places. So oh, really? I've got got the old Mac Pro 12 core and a couple <laughs> of couple of UAD satellites, Thunderbolts and little drive array and yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah. And a USB monitor. Lordy. Never heard of that yeah. before. So what does that work all right? Is it update? Yeah, it's amazing. It's like a it's a fifteen inch high definition monitor, ten eighty P. Right. Just plug it in with the USB cable. That's all. It takes its power down the USB, everything. And you get you get ten you get nineteen hundred by nine whatever it is. By 1080 um, resolution on the screen, wow. and, it, and it's 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 six it's seven millimeters thick, and it weighs less than a pound. Wow! I want yeah. one of those. There, yes. Yeah, you can connect it up to anything, laptops, anything. Brilliant. I, yeah, that uh, Raspberry Pi. Yeah, okay. Was it expensive? No, it was 130 quid from Amazon. All right, okay. Now this is exciting stuff. Can you send yeah. me a link? Yeah, link, yeah, link. We all want eight, link. Everybody wants a link. <laughs> okay, MB one six eight plus. All right, we'll check that out. Thank you very much, yeah. Robbie. Um, people are a bit concerned that your modular has been replaced by uh, what seems to be a much smaller unit right there. What's uh, going on? Uh, the modular's still here. The modular's at the side there. Ah, okay. It's been displaced. Had a bit of a, a shuffle round. Right, gotcha. I've been trying to shuffle here, but it hasn't been working out. Everything's not 
Well, anyway, I won't go into that. Anyway, we'll also say hello to, um, let's say, Mark Tinley. We haven't seen Mark for a little while. Mark Tinley over there um, in uh, what looks like a fridge magnet, fridge note encrusted kitchen. That is a seriously... (laughs) Be, be noted you must have a lot of stuff going on with all of that going on anyway mark tinley creative thinker um sound designer sound artist over there in uh, sunny glastonbury in the uk how are you mark bloody raining actually yeah, I'm, been... I'm really well i've been doing lots of things that i don't know what to tell you about i want to do a gas m- kind of moment where i tell you all about my new wonderful guitar can i do that <laughs> yeah why not why not so i've been making this for about a year so it is a Fender Stratocaster, but it's not. Ooh. So I might have shown you this before, but it's got it's got Seymour Duncan P-Rails pickups on it, and I've wired it all up so I can do inverse phases and all sorts of things. Okay. But the most exciting bit is that bit there. Can I get that? There, there. I don't know. Oh, what are you showing me? I'm trying to show you that I've got seven audio outputs. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Why ever not? So I've got a hex pickup on the on the bridge like a piezo pickup and the and the body was made by black sabbath's keyboard player just to sound awesome so um i've gutted a line six guitar and i've put the line six guitar in a rack and this speaks to the line six guitar so i've got like you know the typical kind of 30 odd different guitar models plus this p rails pickup p rails pickup is a p90 and an alnico pickup in one unit and they sound bloody awesome when you reverse the phase and stuff it sort of sounds like a cross between mick ronson and Jimi hendrix with more lsd it's brilliant (laughs) (laughs) you can't go wrong that well nice mark i look forward to perhaps hearing that sometime in the not too distant future that's awesome but thank you very much for joining us and we're going to go over to oh I've just been there we're going to go to Rich Hilton who's in Connecticut Rich Hilton of course keyboard player with Chic Nile Rogers studio guy and man with the nicest sounding microphone out of the bunch of us although I have tweaked my EQ myself I've had EQ envy and mic envy although I'm just I'm using a, a Rode Procaster here and you're using something infinitely more valuable I'd imagine how are you Rich? I'm well thank you good and there's no and there's no EQ involved there is not. There is no EQ on this microphone. Oh, okay. Well, that's dis- <laughs> well, I don't know if that's disappointing. That's great. Well, that means you've obviously made the right mic selection for your voice, which is what you'd expect from a man of your experience. I've had this microphone for, I don't know, 25 years or something. It's it's a beautiful microphone, but it was like, I think at the time even, it was a five or $600 microphone. <laughs> nice. I like the sound of that. Anyway, Rich, thank you for joining us. And also got we've got a full panel this week. We've got Gaz Williams, who's over there in Bristol in his base garret. Uh, ba- uh, actually, is there a, is that it's like a base loft rather than a basement? You've got a base loft right there. Yes. Um, yeah. Base player, I should say, base player producer, <laughs> uh, more than occasional host on uh, various uh, Sonic productions. So thank you very much for joining us, Gaz. You're well. Yeah, uh, yes, very well, thank you. Been very much uh, ensconced, ensconced in effects, bass effects. I'm playing a gig with Asteroid Deluxe on Friday, and that's uh, that's far out space music. Really, kind of bit crowdy, bit sort of Tangerine Dreamy, bit sort of uh, uh, what else? Uh, Hawkwind, Gong, getting into that sort of territory a little bit. Oh yeah. Uh, 
really looking forward to it. It's so indulgent. It's so much fun. <laughs> Aren't you going to have to play your bass with a, uh, a a violin bow to qualify at some point? That's a good idea. Because <laughs> uh, I don't know if people know that. Didn't John Luke Ponty used to be in Gong? Oh, I don't don't know. There you go. But, uh, I've been using lots of ring ring modulator and trying to make ring modulator work with bass is quite interesting. Uh, so I'm looking forward to inflicting that on the, the poor people because it could be in a quite a nice club with a big sound system. Excellent. <laughs> and your new bass, which I heard the other day, which does sound delightful, I must oh, say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, well, anyway, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. I'm still watching. There's a bloke on the uh, on the, the, the ESA web live stream now who's talking, presumably saying how great it is to have landed, but we're still waiting for the pictures, so I'm not going to I'm not gonna go anywhere in with that. Let's start with our own, very own first topic. I think I have one. This is... This is I, I know we may have mentioned this before, but there now seems to be a move afoot. So watch and learn. This is Tommy D uh, doing a sort of promo uh, video for the Music Producers Guild. Producer and a director of the Music Producers Guild. Adele's phenomenally successful album, 21, has sold over 25 million copies worldwide. This supposedly solo album actually features the names of over 200 professionals who contributed to its enormous success. I know this because I own the CD and the CD comes with a booklet with these credits inside. Credits used to be an important part of the album making process, not just for the people involved, but also for sort of budding young producers and engineers who wondered what these names like Jeff Emmerich, Trevor Horn, what they actually did and these jobs that they actually, uh, that actually were entailed. But what about the modern world? What about if you're streaming on Spotify or if you're, you've bought the album on iTunes? How can you accurately tell who's done what? A very good question. I think you'll probably agree with me. I mean, and this is something that is quite critical. I mean, I've my, I say career, my uh, when I had one, did sort of span a little bit between the digital and the analog world. And uh, there was a couple of tracks that I worked on that were just purely digital releases, sort of, you know, a matter of a couple of years ago. And I couldn't figure out how I was going to get credited. You know, when I say I played bass synth on, you know, production X or Y, who would know apart from me? <laughs> and I guess that's actually quite an issue. But what the uh, Music Producers Guild are uh, suggesting is um, is linking a database to the ISRC code, which is the sort of unique recording code, which is what happens when you stick a CD in your, uh, your, your computer and grab it into iTunes. It reads the ISRC code off it, pulls all the information, the track listings, and, you know, minimal information, maybe the album art, but not the credits. And the thinking of expanding that so that it begins to do all of those things. I'm guessing, Robbie, you know, that this, this might be something, you know, in terms of productions that you're working on, you know, you're working on sort of pop and house and sort of club EDM kind of stuff. How do you get credit? How, you know, isn't there a, isn't there an issue that's going to happen? It's a minefield because I get really hacked off with it because quite often you do like a co-write production for, for somebody and, um, uh, you know, it goes up on iTunes and all that and it just says the artist's name. And then after the, and you go, you go back to the label and say, there's no, you know, all these things that you, you're meant to be able to say you've done that help get other work and, you know, you put people in touch with what you've done basically looks like you haven't done anything. <laughs> and so you get in touch with all these labels and people and say, I haven't got a credit. And they say it's too late. It's already gone through the system and, you know, we can't revoke it and all that kind of thing. It's a minefield. Oh, that's, um, it's, that's it's, bad it's form. I, I'm all for this. I'm all for this, really, because it's, like you said, the more... The more the stuff goes sort of 
sort of nebula in in nebulous in the fact there's no hard copy of anything the more this kind of information just gets totally watered down and lost and um it's not that everyone wants to be egocentric and say look look what i did but it is important as that as that kind of film kind of showed for 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 producers and and session musicians and people like that to be able to quantify what they've done so that they can continue getting work yeah, I think uh, it's, uh, and I and I disagree. I think it is really important for the ego because I mean, you know, creativity does have a lot to do with ego. I think personally, and you know, seeing as uh, many of the charts and the measurements that we might have used to sort of go, oh look, I worked on that. It's number X in the obvious chart, rather than some random obscure sponsored by some you know screw fix league type chart somewhere or other there you get number one it, it, it doesn't have the same cash so it's it's quite important i guess rich also you know your your work you know you must be contributing in many ways to lots of recordings and you know in previous years it may have been you know maybe or maybe not it would be easy for that credit to happen even if you all the interested parties agree that you should get it where does it go you know there isn't actually a place for it to live in the digital world so much now right well now there isn't yeah there's not so much print media about it. The best you can hope for, I guess, is an annotation on one of those all music <laughs> websites or something. I don't know. On so, uh, this, I, this brings such an enormous range of thoughts to me, the whole credit discussion. First of all, I have been, by and large, very generously well credited for the vast majority of the work I've done, certainly with Nile. So nothing I say should sound like anything other than the full knowledge of that. That having been said, there are moments where you're doing things for which you know you're not going to be credited. And uh, at certain point, you have to uh, have an agreement with yourself that the work is its own reward. And you've chosen to do it. Um, and some aspect of how you get credited falls outside of your hands. Yeah. But do you think that it's fair yeah, to really. do you think it's fair that we should expect or you know nay demand even you know that there is a route for this information to be put out there because it all it does is seem to contribute to the commoditization of music as a product and that you know the, well, the less removed from the people who actually work on it in theory in a perfect world yes but it, it is far from that and in fact the crediting of these things has become part of the marketing of them and quite often what's being represented in the credits is more of a community or a figurehead status. You want somebody's name on your record and they're willing to pay for it. And that guy has taken the job and farmed it out to somebody else or who somebody who works for him or whatever. So, <clears throat> yeah, I know what you're saying. It's there. all smoke and mirrors anyway. <laughs> on some level i mean to some extent in some cases not and some things are meticulously well credited and uh very specifically acknowledged as far as who did what at any given various time like they were in the old days but they're very few and far between and as you point out there's really no venue uh from which to dispense that information reliably anyway so yeah it's a wonderful idea but it should be <laughs> I don't know, what do you think? A, yeah, it would be great. It would be great. It's just I've. But that, I mean, I don't think it. we're very far away from that actually potentially happening by by all accounts. It's just all it yeah, needs a central. Well, some poor I, sod is going to have to enter all of that data into a database, which might take a while. Yeah, I mean, I think you know maybe there should be something about with the meta tagging, whether you know whether you know for a release that should be 
just par for the course, you know, it should be done. Um, when I was young, I used to just absolutely, I would read every single possible little bit of text I could find on it. And on an album, I'd bring it home. I would study it. I'd devour it. I'm, I'm not maybe particularly uh, typical of the average person, but, you know, I, I think a lot of people would have would have done that as well. But, I mean, I used to love finding out, and I used to love it if I find that oh someone who worked on that record had worked on that record but you know it one of the small names and um see and i do really feel from a from a fan and listener point of view a little bit sad about this but but from a professional view it it is a it's a bugbear of mine in a way because i've been on about i've worked on about 200 commercial releases in the past 10 years but there's very little like online evidence of this uh and some of the albums that i've worked on which i'm really pleased about and would love to be associated with i can't find credits for myself on it as well so it's sort of it's just it's useful isn't it for someone like myself it'd be useful to have the credibility and if people are find discovering me that way i think it'd be fantastic so i do feel it's a real shame that it's not just a given that it should just be absolutely the release gets when a release is done a commercial release bang producer engineer mastering yeah. all the different musicians people, contributors all that musicians sort of yeah. writers it should just be you know and if it takes 10 minutes of someone's time to put that in you know that 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 should just be done and i think god you think about the amount of time we put in that we're not being paid for on projects we work for, put hours and hours and hours of the stinking time in. So, yeah, there's no excuse. <laughs> Good man. Mark, nice cup there. That's a massive cup. Is that, is that a foreshortening effect on the wide-angle lens, or is it actually that big? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is it, quite a large cup. Um, credits. Important, though. Credits. Right? I don't think I've ever been credited properly on anything, actually. Mm. Actually, no, maybe that's unfair. I did. I there's one album that I did with Duran Duran that Nick sat down with me and said, What exactly do you want it to say? And I wrote my own credit and it went on. But I think that might have been because I got really hacked off because uh, a few of the other albums that I was on uh, didn't get credited anywhere near properly. So Nick kind of set it straight by making sure that I got to say what I wanted it to say on one of them. Um, but, um, and that's partly my own fault for not thinking it was particularly important. And now I'm 50 years old, I sort of 51. I realize actually it was massively important. And if I'd, uh, made a real kind of effort to make sure I got credited properly on things for things that I'd done, especially where I'd been a musician on things, cause I've often been a musician, but I kind of believed that, uh, as a producer, and partly what Rich was saying, that you kind of give up the right to any of your musicianship by being a producer, and that's part and parcel of the producer thing, and then you get your point, and then, you know, it's kind of, it's almost like dirty money under the table to like, oh, you know, don't tell anyone you did that bit, and we'll give you a point kind of thing. I see um, what you're saying. But it's, so, um, I, I don't know, it's got to be really hard to make sure that people are actually credited for what they've done, because I... I even, uh, I don't know, we accept, I quite, you know, I've quite often accepted different credits to the things that I've done on things that I've worked on. So I don't know. There was uh, an, how, how would you, how would you, 
how would you administer? Would you have someone there? I think it just needs to be. It needs to be credit police. Yeah, it needs to be a process that is that happens. You know, when when they sit down and they enter all the data into the databases for royalty tracking, they you know that it happens at that point. I'm guessing. Sorry, Robbie, you wanted to come in. I I was going to. I was going to say. I was going to say one of the most important things I think in this day and age is that is that you do get your credit if you're a musician on something, particularly with you know with with yeah, things I like realize that. being a valued revenue stream. Because for instance, I've got a friend called Hal Ritson who pretty much is the go-to guy who does all the sample replays for pretty much everyone worldwide now, all the American artists right. as well. And he gets credited, obviously, as a performing producer and for playing. And it, the amount of money that it's worth to him yearly is 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 off the scale, particularly for stuff that becomes radio hits. So it's really important. The, you know, obviously hindsight's a, a totally useless thing, but um, you know, oh, I, I've come so to realise how important that is. Mm. Um, you know, years years later. Yeah, I must admit, I've been sort of looking back at some of the things and I think oh, I, I should, should have said that. You know, I've written. I've written musical parts on things, but because I was the programmer, I mean, I've I've had it where the artists come in at two o'clock in the afternoon to see what I've been up to, and I've just been writing loads of musical parts, and then they go, I like that, I like that, I don't like that, let's use that. And actually, that means I, I'm the musician on the album, but I'm not credited as the musician on the album, and that's with more than one different artist that I've done that, and... Uh, especially drum programming as well. I mean, you mm. do drum programming, you sort of think, oh, well, I'm just programming beats, making a machine do things. But it's still musicianship, and we sort of forget that along the way. Increasingly more so now. The beats are the kind of, yeah. you know, that's one of the signature sounds of a, of a recording. Yeah, it is It is complex. And it, yeah, I, I mean, there used to be the issue, you know, you, you, you'd sign a musician release form, and that's the paper trail that used to happen. So that's where you get your PPL, st- uh, your performance stuff. Right. And I wish I'd done the same thing, because, you know, I, I'm, I have played on some quite big hits, and I don't think I've got all the credit for it. Uh, and it's a shame, really. Uh, there needs to be an age because while they're at it, maybe we could just get them to refill all our previous ones. But there's got to be some sort of administered process because I could go, yeah, I remember. I didn't. I play the bass on that, and if no one contests it, because I might be wrong, because my memory's shot, or I might be criminal. Um, how do you then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we we get it put. I get it put into agreements now. Before I know, I've said this old joke. Yeah. Good for you. I get it put into agreements. I'm going to be credited as performing producer, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because. Because um, a lot of this stuff in nowadays, you have to you have to take on board the responsibility for it yourself. So periodically, yeah. I go to PPL, I trawl through all this stuff that I've done in the last year, and I look at all the the entries that other labels have made, and I go, they haven't got that entry right. I'm not credited on that. I'm not credited on that. And then I have to provide all this information to PPL, like a, a CD artwork cover that shows my name or all this kind of thing. So the more you can kind of set yourself up to, to not have to go through all that grief afterwards, the better, really. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah, but so if, as it becomes more digital and you don't have the CD. Yeah. Exactly, with, exactly. With the I, name on the back, th- how are you going to... I think you've got a, when they're doing... When they're doing the uh, when you're doing the upload to say iTunes and you're filling in the different boxes and there's usually with all of these online forms there's mandatory boxes and then there's optional boxes and you can advance if you've you know but if uh, any yeah, of the yeah, mandatory make boxes it, make it op- been, mandatory make it yeah who played make it, it mandatory make yeah. it mandatory just just and then that's just f- make it a standard make it mandatory and then and then you just put 
you certainly put the main categories you know so it's not an essay that people have to write but the at least if it was the main categories uh and then possibly an additional fields as well which are optional but the main if the main categories that certainly covers engineers and mastering and that kind of thing are mandatory then i think that would go some way to helping and then yeah. that information well, then that, is I suppose I, that's true i mean if if you do make it mandatory then the, the then essentially you know the, it's up to the label or the uploader to do it so you know there yeah, you go and it's, Sorted, i don't think it? it's, i don't think people would mind particularly oh they're filling in the form and doing that and that's just part of the process but when there's not that then people are not going to do it so i think i think there is a good a good case to yeah. be put forward for it good point well if you want to find out any more information on that uh you need to go to mpg.org.uk mpg.org.uk credits and they've got a kind of uh, a whole section on it and it's definitely well worth it um okay ah yes there is a huge pile of apex twin releases this is another one uh what's the time actually i should probably do the ad but we'll do that afterwards eh um so yes of course um, now we want to, uh, a word from our sponsor and also we're going to have the competition details uh last week's winner and the next winner so stay tuned Isotopes. makes the difference between a good sounding mix. Ozone 6, eh? Just out. Product. Essential Isotope mastering tools, equalizer, dynamics, maximizer, exciter, exchanger, image, image post equalizer, dither, dynamic EQ, advanced only. Ozone Harness the sonic texture of classic analog gear with even deeper digital control. Make smarter mix. Post equalizer, maximizer, and dithering. Quickly achieve authentic sounds any genre with comprehensive bank presets. Free trial at isotope.com. Indeed, do download it. Um, there is a full uh, working, you get a 10-day trial and it works fully, so it's well worth checking out, available in standard and advanced versions. Uh, and of course, last week we ran a competition and we have a winner of the said competition. I've just got to find my paperwork, which is just here. The winner uh, for last week's competition, we asked you to tweet out a hashtag uh, to at uh, Sonic Nick and at Creative Mastering. Uh, I'm sorry, and at Isotope Inc. The winner is somebody called Saturday's Radio. At Saturday's Radio, that's the Twitter handle, at Saturday's Radio, won last week. So if you let me know, the Isotope Fairy will be able to uh, bestow uh, the gift of ozone to your inbox, uh, which I'm sure you'll be delighted with, because otherwise, why would you have bothered entering the competition? Uh, he also said... Uh, Cheers to the Sonic Talk podcast and Isotope crew for these great giveaways. I'd love a copy of Ozone 6. So, as I say, you know, comments always welcome. But you can also win this week. So, this week, uh, there is another competition. You need to be on Twitter. You need to tweet the hashtag Analog Matched EQ. That's a bit of a mouthful. Analog Matched EQ, one word, to at. If you basically tweet that highlighted text, that'll get you an entry to the competition. But. I'd prefer it if you had a little comment because it uh, gives us something to read. And I know that Isotope also read them. So, um, you know, do check them out. And then what we do is we pick, we search for those terms. And we pick the, a, a random number from the winner from the winner's list uh, in reverse order. And um, job's good. So win Isotope 6 and do it. Right. Can I just say something about Ozone 6? Yes, please do, Robbie. Oh, I, I was so, so pleased with Ozone 6 because for years I've been using this plugin on the TC PowerCore platform and then on my System 6000 called Dynamic EQ, you know, where you can compress frequencies. Oh, with yeah. various, and it's been brilliant on it. And the PowerCore platform, as you know, has been gradually going and going. And now with Maverick's pretty much gone. 
And um, I just couldn't find anything. I tried other ones from other people, and they were just always too complicated. But the Dynamic EQ in Ozone 6 is absolutely brilliant and a total replacement for that. So I've been very, very happy this week. Excellent. Ozone yeah. Advanced, isn't it? The, the, the yeah. Ozone yes, Advanced. It is yeah. advanced only. That's true. It should yeah. be worth mentioning. Um, which also gets you the advanced metering and the uh, reverb cloning and the mix match as well, isn't it? So you can uh, yeah. match the EQ. Uh, right. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm still looking. There's, there's still just loads of blokes talking about <laughs> stuff. There's not actually any pictures. I want to see a picture of the flipping comet, not a bloke in a tie with a, with a lanyard, please, if you don't mind. Can you get on with it? The show's going to be over quite soon. Uh, right, so I'm looking for yes, this uh, this very lucky chap, noisy noise lab, uh, Dave Noise talks to Richard D James, uh, a a aka FX twin, as we know. Uh, I mean, he doesn't really do interviews, generally speaking, and th- uh, this is an absolute duty. This was a kind of. Uh, conducted over irc as far as i understand there is a whole ton usually you know he's a very secretive fellow but there is a lot of information here about the instrumentation processes things that we use and also he's just posted this stuff on soundcloud is that me oh yeah that is i'll shut that down uh, and he's basically posted all of these tracks there are a few tracks but there's also lots and lots and lots of just kind of ARP 2500 modules, brain floss mix. So there's just, you know, various different sounds, for instance, that just, this is what, it's like, check out my synths. And we are checking them out. And this is not something, I did, to, to be honest, I did, I wasn't aware um, that uh, Aphex Twin used a lot of vintage analog. I thought a lot of the stuff he was doing was made, you know, made in-house. And he does make a lot of his own uh, instrumentation and uh, stuff as well. It's a very interesting phenomenon. I don't know. Robbie, what is it about Aphex Twin? He's massive, and people just... This is kind of a release, isn't it? And it's an interesting idea, because it's just a collection of sound files and a whole... It's like a sort of mood board of an album, rather than a cohesive album yeah. thing. And it's not an un, uninteresting way to to proceed. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've always had a bit of a sort of a, a love-hate thing with the, with, with, the, with his work, because cause he's one of those artists, quite often, I, I describe as can't eat a whole one. And like it's very hard sometimes to sit through a whole album, and and to take it all in because you know it's just so out there a lot of it. But um, no, I, I mean I think he's deservedly got that kind of mythical status because, like you say, he has been kind of very secretive about about stuff in the past. So he's kind of like he's kind of like the Kate Bush of the electronic <laughs> one. Really. Yes, that's a that's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are actually a couple of quite you know commercial or uh, accessible sounding things on here as well. I mean, it's not just that's perhaps not it. I can't find. I should. <laughs> I'm trying to find the one now. It was actually very uh, you know it sounded quite mainstream by by comparison to what it usually does. I uh, know, um, Gaz. What do you think about this idea of? I mean, you know, whether or not Aphex Twin is your thing. You know, I mean, it's a really interesting way of releasing material. There's no, there's nothing for sale. I mean, presumably there will be product as well at the end of it. But it seems like it's. I mean, are they directly related to that interview? Has he just put sounds up to help illustrate the points that he was making in the interview? Um, Not sure if that's the case. Actually, hold on. I'm just looking okay. for. Uh, I'd close that window, which was perhaps a little bit foolish. The interviews. The interviews nice because they say at the beginning that they're mates. So he says, he says, oh, it's a bit strange being interviewed by your mate. But then ah. I think that's, I think that's a quite a, a, a key thing, really, because it's really nice. It's very, uh, it feels like 
it does actually feel like mates talking and being quite straight with the, you know. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's, Oops, sorry about that. That was not supposed <laughs> to happen there. Let me. Um, but, I mean, they... Ah! Sorry, I'm not. I'm. I, what I'm trying to do is turn is send it into the mix, but it's turn it down. It's not. It's not it's working. It's making the. It's making it sound like an Aphex Twin song. Um, <laughs> That's it. It's the wrong thing. So carry on, and I'll just sort of send a little bit in, and you can have a listen. I mean, his influence is just is so huge, and as Robbie says, some of it is really hard. You know, hard work. It's not exactly easy listening, but um, there's so many things we just take almost for granted that there'll be a button on our latest kind of unit that will make things go or whatever. And yes, he spawned a genre. Oh, hugely. Um, but it's an interesting, art. it's a really interesting article and it's well worth reading whether you like him or not, because, you know, you can't, even if you don't like him, his techniques and his ideas are really interesting. Into making a lot of kind of electromechanical instruments and his own sort of things, which I think is quite, you know, that's quite a nice idea. Yes. But I mean, you know, he has got this very nice music um, musicality about him as well, though, that when he does more straight pieces, you can see, wow. Yeah, it's you know, groovy, it, it, isn't it's, it? It's got a groove. Yeah. And, and it's quite interesting because his exposure, he really could have made an album just moving a few nudges over to the mainstream that would have just been huge mega selling, but he's never, he's, he's never done that. And his latest album is, you know, it's just continuing his own path regardless of commercial. I suppose so. I mean, I I think, I think what happened was there was that whole MTV genre of stuff that he did where he did those videos, which are just really visually striking and where he had the kind of his ugly face. Window and yeah. 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 And that, that perhaps, I think basically what happened there is maybe it went, you know, and he's obviously spent a lot of money on those things, but maybe it went a lot bigger than he was comfortable with. And he just sort of went, Oh my God, I don't actually want that to happen again. It's, it's not something I'm comfortable with. So maybe this is the way to, I know Rich, what do you think about the idea of this sort of mood board release? It's sort of an interesting notion. I mean, it seems like a lot of things unfinished, but um, you know, I'm not sure I understand the question. I, I don't, I don't really understand this topic and I don't know much about this guy. So well, that's I don't fair. Have really well, essentially, a lot to contribute. Uh, uh, the notion of what seems to have happened is released an awful lot of bits and pieces and stuff that are going towards making or have been involved in making a, a, a full new release. At least that's how I understand it. But releasing it all as a sort of just big pile of SoundCloud stuff and some alternative mixes and just just to sort of like I say, it's almost like an assemblage or a mood board of stuff that goes towards making the final product. It's quite a um, a brave thing in many ways because there's a lot of stuff in there that is pretty impenetrable and you go, what the hell, as well. Could you see that being a release format perhaps in the future, all that accompanying material, you know, breaking it down? And we've talked about that as a possibility in the, in the, in the past. Well, I don't claim to be a visionary on these things. Um, could I see it? Yeah, I could see it. I could see all kinds of things that I never anticipated. So I'm old enough to know that uh, stuff happens that I don't see the connection to. So... In this case, I don't really see a connection to that as far as wanting to do it. But could I see it becoming popular? Absolutely. Yeah, it's an interesting idea, definitely. But I mean, and also, I mean, there is a certain amount of, um, uh, you know, anything with Apex Twin in the title is guaranteed to kind of explode your hits 
enormously exponentially just because there seems to be an enormous amount of people interested in him. And I think that's down to, like you say, Robbie, his, his enigmatic approach to being, you know, a public figure. And that's that's kind of something that I suppose... And also, you know, every photograph of himself is sort of distorted in some way. So it's got it's quite an interesting way of presenting yourself right the way from, you know, since he did the Come to Daddy and the Window Liquor stuff where it was really kind of like... He made himself look as grotesque as possible, which kind of seems like the sort of thing you might do if you didn't agree with your record company and they were trying to promote you in standard ways and you come up with an image that's so unpalatable that... Uh, that they, they they don't want to use it, but it sort of backfired in many ways. Wasn't there that album he released? Wasn't there that album on eBay we talked about a couple oh, of months that's right. back? Yeah, that's unreleased right. Unreleased album that went for some crazy amount of money. Unreleased bit of vinyl. 65 grand or something, yeah. It was insane, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. Madness. Well, um, that's probably that, but yeah, do check out... Uh... Oh, I haven't said Oh, sorry, yet. Mark. I'm terribly sorry, Mark. I'm kind of... Yeah, I got lost there. What's that? That's that's your, oh, that's an industrial strength this is soldier. What I want to do with Apex Twin? I want to go and hang out in his house, or he can come to my house actually, with, a with my soldering iron, because I just absolutely love all of these different weird things that he makes, and it's kind of what I do. And I have, I have my kitchen table is just a sea of electronic components and different things. And I, I actually, I got given a. I'm going to go off on a slight tangent because his friend dave who's done this interview with him dragged a piano behind the train in australia and i love the idea of that any of those sorts of things awesome. <laughs> i got given a piano in glastonbury the other day someone had it on the glastonbury notice board and said does anyone want this piano and i said yes i'll have it but you have to know that it's not going to remain intact so i visited this person with a 10 pound lump hammer we wheeled the piano out of their house into the street and then I smashed it to pieces and took the soundboard home and then I've covered it in contact mics and I've been making uh, samples of me drilling into it with a hammer drill. And uh, so, th- I mean, that's the kind of thing I like doing and I just get excited by sounds and I think it's, you know, I, I, reading this thing about him and all the things he likes doing, I think him and I over a, a, a nice cup of mushroom soup... <laughs> or something you know it could have a lot of fun so <laughs> with our soldering irons look that sounds like a great idea i'm just going through some of the there's some great images in here this weird sort I mean, of dis- sense just look wicked and then like all these you know slightly modified things and i kind of totally get it i i can and and the sounds that he's making i like going like yeah i get that one but i've got this one so i you know we could do like trump card swaps here i'll swap you this sound for this one or whatever or maybe i should just put all my sounds on sound oh, look, that's sound interesting card. there's uh adrian utley with uh yeah i didn't know what he, what was he doing with there i'll have to talk to adrian about that there as you can see there well, is another interesting chap actually isn't he so yes yes very nice fellow adrian uh most definitely um Yes, this, and there's there's basically a second part to this post, and it's just full of really interesting, interest, just sort of imagery and bits and bobs, and it's yeah, this is I mean, the sort of definitive. He's the modern equivalent of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, isn't he? I suppose. I suppose in many ways that's not an un, unfair comparison. He's sort of an independent, you know, like a sound maker. He's doing this. He's creating cutting edge things and experimenting and. Um, I don't know. That always excites me. Just always excites me. There is just so much 
material here. I, I have to confess, I haven't read the entire in its entirety, and I'm going to have to sit down and really kind of go through it. Those I, as well. Here's, there's a picture of the clap, that little module. It had like that, a little brass thing on it for like you, and a little bit further down. It's in just a picture of the box. It's this like clap thing that it had like a little brass thing on it and you played it with your fingers and it was part of something called the kit, which was also like a finger drums thing, which ah. was like one of the best sounding drum machines or not machine, but one of the best sounding drum modules. The hi-hats on them were really nice and they felt nice because you tap this brassy thing to get the sound. Wow, look at that. That's a pretty seriously modded TB303 there, right there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It, uh, it's a drum machine, isn't it? Is that the, the Six. 606? I can't tell. Ah, oh, that's some interesting things. Anyway, yeah, a mine. If you, if you, everything. It looks like everything you've always wanted to know, but uh, nobody could ever get to ask the question. Check them out. That's at uh, Noise Lab, uh, spelt with a Y and a Z uh, and an E. Noise Lab Blogspot dot com dot au. So do check that out. Uh, right. Let's see what else we've got here. Oh yes, of course. Who could fail to? Uh, have been impressed by that and i'm sure this is going to work is it going to work it doesn't seem to want to ah there we go this was posted by keyboard mag a couple of weeks ago this was a petting zoo idea which is a great idea this is a room full of uh, yamaha synthesizers uh, it being 40 years of yamaha synth this year which we've spoken about before so far only seems to have been celebrated by the release of a white liveried motif which uh, i find a bit unfathomable when you consider to look at all of these amazing synthesizers but there are a ton of them here but again it's a very select and kind of quite, and dark you can't really see what's going on in a lot of these things but the idea of a petting zoo i didn't see the csa there must be one there but i guess there wasn't a csa some really uh, cool instruments there and uh, that's the uh, i mean m- perhaps less about the yamaha and the 40 years apart from the fact that there are some great synthesizers there it's an astonishing array of stuff that um it's a great idea isn't it that sort of petting zoo notion i mean do, do you think you you would robbie would you let anybody pet your synthesizers the general public would you let them do that i mean it just seems like a, a very risky proposition <laughs> no i wouldn't no I don't think so. I don't think I, I, I you know, I, I don't like them. I don't like them being out of their natural habitat. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're just, they're, you know, they're too, they just don't feel like specifically bespoke things like my polygamist and things like that. I just don't think they're the sort of things that travel well. So, no, I, I, I'm very happy for them to be nice and cozy at home. Yeah, well, that's studio. fair enough. Yeah. Rich, were you invited to that petting zoo? The Seems like the sort of thing that you should have been present at. No, I uh, I think, uh, you know, the hotel said I had a message downstairs, but I didn't go fetch it. Ah, oh, curses. No, I don't know. I'm, I'm joking. I, I, no, I wasn't invited. <laughs> okay, fa- favourite hardware Yamaha synth then. How about that as a, as a question? Oh, for me? Oh, yeah. Well, probably just because of its uniqueness, the GX1. Ooh, big style. But, uh, but in terms of reality, uh, CS80, I think, is a pretty pinnacle instrument uh, for any company. And uh, to me, that was a really, really effective, well-done thing. Yeah, that, that threw a, uh, an even-tied ultra-harmonizer, and you're, kind of, you're talking a world of love right there. Just amazing things. Um, and I, I suppose I should uh, 
ask you as well. Um, I'm not sure how many Yamaha synthesizers you've been exposed to, Mark, but a fair few, I think, I would imagine. I mean, most of your clients have been more Roland-focused, perhaps. Um, my favourite Yamaha, favourite Yamaha synth, has to be that little tiny analogue one. That's like it, It's called a CS... Oh, CS01. CSO. Is it a CSO one? Like yeah. it's about this. It's like it's about eight. the same size as the Casio thing. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. full analog synth with proper resonant filters and and stuff. So that one, because because I can not quite put it in my pocket. If I wear a big enough coat, I could put it put it in my pocket. I like portable things. You see. Yeah. No. I I, 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 that, think, I seem to remember you talking about the CSO one actually, Robbie, in the, uh, in oh, the past. No, I, was a, I I had both of them, the one and the Mark II over the years and um i regret losing both of those yeah but I, I i remember when i was about 17 i went to abc music in slough and there was this second hand synth i'd never seen before called the cs30 <gasps> with the sequence in it yeah that beautiful one. and i bought yeah. it i bought it for 250 pounds wow and i got it home and i thought hang on a minute i can only play one note at once <laughs> I was totally didn't realise that because the other synth I had at the time was a DX9. So I was, um, but um, again, it, was you sure it wasn't geophonic the CS30? Because I've got um, I've got a CS15 and I, that's geophonic. I just remember thinking, hang on a minute, I can't play chords on this, and I'm um, being utterly <laughs> disappointed. But now, now in hindsight, I really wish I had that instrument. Absolutely, I know, Gaz. I great. Used to- Sorry. Oh, when I had an MC202 so that I could do chords, I used to work out what all the chords were and then I used to do the tape sync thing and I'd record the chords one note at a time to kind of create and I'd do like kind of four passes and bounce them all back and forth until I'd created the whole, you know, four note chord. Oh, nice. As you had said in the chat, as said, said in the chat, lots of music stores got that question in those days. I'm sure my synth is broken; it can only play one note. I'm sure you're absolutely right about that. Oh, Gaz, petting zoos and favourite Yamaha synth then? Tenorion. Ah, ooh, okay, that's very controversial. <laughs> uh, just because it's so bonkers, and the fact that Yamaha, who are not known for their not bonkers bonkers you know the most Yamaha stuff is quite serious isn't it you know it's quite you know but Tenorion bonkers great great things and the iPad version was cool but when you play a real one and and you hold it and it's it's just such a strange thing it's uh yeah I mean yes I remember doing a review for that and it was uh it was very challenging um uh, just figure out how it worked (laughs) if 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 in all honesty though my favorite yamaha thing of all time i think was my qy20 which i know we've mentioned yeah about okay. before oh yeah but, they're brilliant uh, yeah i love that i used to use mine so much uh but 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 the petting zoo thing i think is a, a great idea i mean i've been to some things a little bit like that i've been to like bass things a little bit like that where people take their bases along and you get to play on them but um yeah uh uh, I mean, they do have some, don't they? I think there is one in, that they have in Bristol. They have there's a, a Bristol, kind of... Bristol synth heads. Yeah, I have. I've yet to make it along to one of those. And there's also, of course, the uh, the guys at uh, synthesizer.de and various offshoots and magazine because they, they've got a magazine in the in Germany. If you go to Music Messer, there's this downstairs. There's a a, a booth which is just a, a photo op for 
almost any kind of loads of really obscure and fabulous synthesizers that you could just they don't all they're not all sort of set up to play but they they're all there and uh, mm. that's really brave it's like, it's like a like a vintage steam rally or something though, isn't it you know <laughs> yeah or one of those things where people kind of take along sort of at well um two stroke lawn mowers you know that sort of thing yeah <laughs> I think stationary it's engine exhibition. Oh. I've been to a stationary engine exhibition by mistake. Yeah, I was at, I was at a wedding and uh, it was near Gloucester, and I had a terrible hangover and we had to go into Gloucester to get you know salt, really salted crisps, Coca Cola, and bacon sandwiches. And there was at Gloucester Docks there was a stationary engine exhibition, and it was really interesting. I like, <laughs> I like the ones that fire like about every second. They're going to go. Yeah. Like Yamaha 500cc single-cylinder motorcycles, yeah. Can yes. I just say my favourite Yamaha thing while I'm here? Okay. Actually, while I'm on the screen. And that's a, a, the Yamaha, either the Rex 50, Yamaha REX 50, which is a little multi-effects processor, or the SPX50D. The distortion in that, and then the fact that you can couple the distortion, I'm probably giving away a bit of a secret here, actually, although it's probably not that important. Um, you can couple the distortion with early reflection and you can create this real room sound and then this really harsh, really nasty distortion. And I used that for years and years and years and years as my main guitar sound. And it, it just, I love it. It sounds Noisy, brilliant. I seem to remember, weren't they? Yes, oh, very. But it's got a gate in it. But, uh, well, that's all right. It's, it's so <laughs> distorted. It's just so digitally distorted, but... It, and it makes a guitar sound sort of like more punk than anything else and more harsh than anything else. Uh, and before they started warming things up by using cam cabinet simulators, it's just got this real kind of like, I don't know, just a real hard, presency harsh edge. Interesting. Uh, there's a good one in the chat room. Uh, Atomic Shadow, who is, as we know, is a very talented electronic musician himself. Uh, if you could have any vintage synth, in great condition, which one would it be? That's a very, that's a great question. Oh, I know, easy. Go on then, Robbie. I, I, I just want a Jupiter Eight. I just, I just always wanted one, and I just, uh, yeah, one day I will have one. Right. Okay. Yeah. That seems that's wanted. very reasonable. That seems very reasonable. Yeah. Rich, any synth in good condition, which one would it be? You can only have one. But you can make you can take your choice, assuming it's working. You know, you don't have to worry about getting it fixed and what have you. Um, boy, that's hard. That is hard. <laughs> it's harder than it seems, isn't it? Because it's going to either be a big modular. It could be a twenty six hundred. It could be any number of things. Uh, you know, an Oberheim eight voice, <laughs> or mm. a memory mug. Uh, the simplest answer is the memory mug, just because it had a lot to do with my development, and I think it's a magnificent instrument, though even in its original incarnation, it was fraught with problems. Yes, well, uh, yeah, that's where the, the uh, in, in good condition is, is the Even caveat. then, it wasn't perfect when they <laughs> sold it for new, but it was. It sounded so great. So um, it depends on you know the scale of the thing. If it's all built into a keyboard instrument and plays poly, then it's memory mug. If uh, it's okay. yeah, that's vintage fair. thing, it's a twenty six hundred, and if it's modular, then it's probably an old Moog, or maybe even what Dave's got. Uh, the dot com modular. 
Yeah, that thing looks beautiful. It does look beautiful. It sounds great. Every time he plugs it in, I go, wow. There's some good stuff here. Tonto is being one of them, but also uh, quite a lot of uh, System 100, quite a lot of Synthy 100s as well, which uh, I can totally relate to as well. Um, who haven't I asked? Have I asked? No, I haven't asked you, Gaz, have I? Uh, Mellotron. Ah, okay. Yeah, because you said if it was all in brilliant condition, so, uh, you know... And a fully working Mellotron would just be a amazing thing to have, wouldn't it? You know, just think, ah. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I was going to say the memory Moog as well. Um, just cause that thing fascinates me, although they're not meant to be. Don't they catch fire or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I know, whatever. There's only a few the left. On rock school. The guy on Rock School in the 80s, the keyboard player, he always had a memory Moog. Oh, man. Uh, rock That's, School. Yeah, nice. Uh, Okay, Mark, in you go. It's got to be something with wood because because I've got all the digital things and everything in the computer, so it needs to be a piece of furniture. And I've, I kind of thought, well, would it be a memory mood because they're nice and wooden? And I think probably not. And it, Profit 5 kind of, I like the wood on those ooh, as ten. well. But go no. for 10. I'm going to go with the AKS, uh, v, uh, the VCS3 because that's got kind of some wood on it. It's a nice big thing, and people would come into my living room and go, I say, what's that, Mark? Ah, excellent. Like put all the little pegs in and make whoop, whoop, you know, battle bits <laughs> and all. It's got to be one. I like it. I like it. You've rather stolen my thunder, though, because I was thinking about a, 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 an actual Cynthia AKS in the suitcase. That's, that's the one I like, the suitcase. But I tell you oh, what, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll go for a uh, one of the little Buchler suitcase modulars because I'd really like to explore that whole kind of alternative synthesis method that I have uh, know nothing about. And what I've heard Alessandro Cortini do with one is just it has really kind of piqued my interest with it because they sound absolutely lovely. I know they're very still, they're quite rare, even though they are remaking it. They haven't quite got that manufacture process right yet. So I like an original. Uh, is it a two hundred E? I don't know what it is. What's it called? Is it a Buchler synthesis? I don't the little, know. the little one. Yeah, with the touch, the touch keyboard. That's right, in a suitcase. That oh, one. what's it called? I think it oh, might be a two hundred E. Hold on. No, no, two hundred E. No, I think it is. The chat room has spoken. Hold on, oh. let me see if I can find. Uh, <laughs> I'll just check. Let me just have a quick look. I'm going to look online. Buckler two hundred E, and then I, I thought can... the one with the little suitcase, a little SKB type case, is a uh, called. Uh... Oh, yeah, it's, it's not re- that. It's not that. It's not a 200. Music easel. Mu- the sound easel. Music easel. Music easel, yeah. yeah. That's it. That's yeah. the chat. I want that one. Yeah. With Lots a pretty colours. With an iProgram card, please. Yeah. Three and a half grand or whatever it is. Four grand. I know, but I want an original. I don't want a, a, a new one necessarily, so that's probably even more. Yeah, so I'll have that. Anyway, well, that kind of brings us to the sort of the end. I'm just uh, going to go back to the space programme, see if they've started to... The, Oh, no, it looks like they've all gone home. It was brilliant, actually, earlier. Before, before we go, there was this fantastic... I was watching... I've been watching it all day because I, when I saw it, it was on. So um, I want to thank uh, Bert Vertessen, I think, as he had for uh, sending uh, the link, saying, oh, this is where... And also, I wrote a story because he sent a link about the noise that the radio waves make. It's quite interesting. And uh, that I was watching... I just happened to tune in, and they said, that's it. Anyway, that's it for the morning. We're all off for lunch now. <laughs> and literally... Bearing in mind they've got a satellite in the sky about to land on a comet. This room was completely empty. (laughs) 
while they all had lunch. It was just brilliant. I just thought what a fantastically European kind of approach to, uh, you know, multi-billion euro space program. Anyway, congratulations to the team, the ESA team. They've landed a flipping spacecraft on a comet. I mean, I still can't believe that. Astonishing. But they can't figure out how to uh, get live stream to allow them to embed that video feed in other websites. But, you know, you know, one thing at a time. First space, then possibly embedding on third-party websites. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much, everybody. It's been great fun as ever. Thank you very much to the chat room. Uh, you've been uh, as fun as ever. A nice, fulsome chat room, I'm going to say. So we'll say goodbye to all our guests now. We're going to start with uh, Robbie Bronneman over there in Robot Studios. Thank you very much for joining us. And your new oh. studio layout looks very, from that angle, looks very sort of... Uh, sli- uh, empty and sort of minimal yeah there's a bit, bit bit beside me which you can't see unfortunately I'll, perhaps i'll change the camera angle next time it is much more impressive okay we'll check that yeah. out i'll change it around next well, time. well thanks for joining us robbie and also i will say thank you to mark tinley over there in uh, sunny glastonbury thank you very much for joining us as well and i hope you're, to, you're going to have to post some uh, examples of your uh, new guitar i think I will do that. Yeah, now I've finally finished putting it together, and and um, uh, the gas can guitar that I made also has the same hex pickup on it. So theoretically, I should be able to plug either of the hex pickups into this thing, which I bought as well. So I've got like the Graftech MIDI thing. So I yep. should be able to. Uh, it's sort of a modular guitar, I suppose. It can be a MIDI nice. guitar. It can be a Line Six guitar. It can be a regular electric. It can sound like an acoustic. It kind of does everything. So, uh, yeah, I will. Uh, maybe I'll make a little YouTube video now. Why now ever I've not? Why ever DSLR not? Camera. Ooh, awesome, yeah. awesome. Go for it. And we're going to say thank you very much to Rich Hilton over there in uh, Connecticut. Thank you very much for joining us. Obviously, off to wax a hottie at the studio, no doubt. <laughs> Gosh, I hope so. I hope so, too. Thank you very much. A pleasure to have you. Thank you very much for joining us. And also, um, Mr. Gaz William there in his uh, bass attic. I'm trying to think Um, of a basement gag. uh, Rich sent me a a little link to a a Mellotron that might be worth looking at. I don't know if you've you've seen it, um, but this is... Rich, how would you describe it? It's like, it looks almost like a... I don't know... um, it's a it's 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 a super expensive thing i think it's a special uh streetly have just made it i think is it a dual uh, manual one no no i just it looks like a vintage plexiglass thing. Oh, look at oh, these magnificent like metal corner stand legs the uh, electronics on the bottom and a black keyboard at the top and it's okay. all see-through it's all it's in a plexiglass box it's really mm. stunning uh, okay, well, we'll have to we'll have to enjoy that um, in our imaginations <laughs> for now. But thank you very much. Yeah, it's anyway, on Streetly's Facebook page. Ah, uh, okay. I can't. Uh, that, yeah, I can't. That, get... I want that. That's what I want. All right, fair <laughs> enough. I think you can. If, if I could grant that wish, guys. Well, when we when we we just need to pick up one or two more sponsors, and I'll be you'll be able to have your wildest dreams come true. Hooray! <laughs> I, I say one or two. I mean one or two thousand. Um, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. And it means now I can actually also. I want to say thank you very much to our sponsors. Remember, uh, don't forget um, you can enter the competition, which is uh, tweet that and a, and a uh, a comment, please, and you will be entered to the competition. You can win. I'm to hope ozone six, 
And um, that's it for now. But I, what, I could, what I can now do is play with my gag that I had lined up because I thought they were going to show kind of, you know, pictures of the flipping comet. But I'll have to do it like this. So obviously we're going back to the control room and now I can just play... Uh, this is... this 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 is Now I can play my gag and that'll... And it's out there. Anyone recognise this one? Yes, of course you Absolutely. do. First contact in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And my favourite bit. Blows all the windows out. Hey, what were the two synths, synths that were shown visually in the movie? Uh, wasn't it a 2600, one of them? Yeah. I Day believe it was seven, a 2500. Oh, 25. 25 there. Uh, and there was a Yamaha SY. Ah, cool. Or was it an SY, uh... Right. It was, it was either a one or a two. I'm not sure. It was an I think it's time to go. I'm going to fade to black, and that'll be the end of that. What's the... Oh.